like I say, he he was there alone with after the victim uh, was deceased for several hours. I mean, we're talking a long time. Just laid him in bed with him, and we also found written in blood, "Please send to heaven, Todd and Matt." Warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain graphic descriptions of violent assaults, murder, and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast, The Murder of Todd Shoemaker, Part 2. Well, first of all, any idea how long they'd been a couple? About half a year, half according a year. to uh, relatives and Mr. Donahue himself. Any legal history of domestic violence? Any no, in place? no. I was always curious about that. There was a, an interesting issue about this case. The The couple shared a dog. It was primarily uh, Mr. Schumacher's uh, named Monroe. And there was an argument. Uh, this was a couple of weeks before the, the murder. Uh, Mr. Donahue had gotten angry at Mr. Schumacher taken his dog and put it in the oven and turned the oven on. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so he killed the dog. No, they got the dog out in time. Um, but then the animal control got involved and, oddly enough, worked with us on the homicide. I'd never worked with animal control in a, a murder investigation. Cool yes. Yeah, pretty cool people. They know their stuff. Yeah, so it, did Matthew yeah. stab the dog and the same time as he was stabbing Todd, was, or was well, the dog unharmed? We, we never found Monroe. Oh, wow. So. Do you remember who you work with with animal control? No. Um, she was fairly new, um, and I was super impressed because we had a suppression hearing in this case, like we always do. I forget what evidence they tried to suppress, but she showed up at yeah. the suppression hearing, and I was like, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, I just, no, I just want to learn because I may have to go through one of these one time. And it's rare that people will take time out of their current job and assignment to go watch something else in hopes of learning something to maybe advance their career. So it was a very, I was very impressed with her. I'm trying to think of how to pronounce her first name. It, and I feel awful about this because she's probably listening. Jai or Jay. And, uh, yes. Jay, yeah. Yeah. And I feel awful about that because I've actually, uh, been in communication with her on the case. Oh, really? A little bit. And what I might do is, is, uh, I think she's agreed to do it is to come in and do an epilogue on it on on animal abuse and how that translates. Absolutely. Because she is really sharp. I worked with her a little bit when there were some conversations when I was on the command staff about uh, warrant service and Mm -hmm. things like that. We were trying to coordinate and you're you're right. She's a detective. Yeah, she she I remember she I think gave me a call on down the road after that, just asking for advice and. Very impressed with her because heck, half the time we we try to get young detectives to come watch testimony and like I'm busy, I can't make it. But for her to certainly not obligated in any way, it was just her own self motivation to learn things and become better at her job. Yeah, hopefully we get her on here. Yeah, that would be great. It would be a great epilogue to this to kind of fold into that because there are relationships between people who do Mm -hmm. very evil things Mm -hmm. to animals and. And what they might do to people. So, and uh, I think she'd be the ideal person from animal control to come and speak to that. So. Yeah. so Monroe was never found. Did you did you ever ask Matthew about Monroe? Yeah, he's uh, he made a comment about uh, the dog must have gotten out at some point. But like I say, they he was there alone with after the victim uh, was deceased for 
several hours. I mean, we're talking a long time. Just laid him in bed with him. And we also found written in blood, please send to heaven, Todd and Matt. Oh, Lord. Where was that written at? Uh, In the bedroom wall. Wow. Yeah. So, Mr. Donahue had some real issues. Um, As Dave and I were talking before um, the podcast started, that he had a juvenile record that was sealed that I couldn't get into. Um, And when they're sealed like that at such a young age, typically it's something really bad. And I wound up, of course, this made the news, as most homicides in Lexington do, um, ran into a school teacher that asked if I was the one handling that case. And I said, yes, I was. I was like, well, how do you, what's your interest? She's like, well, I was a teacher of uh, Matthew Donahue. And she's like, yeah, I had to give statements about something that he did that I'm still not allowed to talk about. And she said that as a young child or student, this is elementary school, she was scared of him. Wow. So he had some severe mental issues. He's. He had, he had mental issues, but to keep it straight a little bit, yeah. they, they, he was evaluated because we'll get the yes. trial in a minute, but. I just want to make sure we're clear on the idea that, that that was sorted out in court before he actually stood trial, obviously. Yeah, it's just a – and Dave, we dealt with people with mental issues, um, and you can be a full-blown paranoid schizophrenic. Those are pretty easy to spot, but it's the sociopaths, the borderline personality disorders that you start to pick up on if you've dealt with them enough. And I, just an amateur guess, I'd say he has um, – Borderline personality disorder, very manipulative, very, very intelligent. Um, he played the victim role very, very well. Um, and luckily, we had the evidence at the scene because, again, it's like you can do this for 50 years and get a read on somebody and be wrong. Right. That's why we need evidence to convict people. Exactly. You know, I don't ever want to go on my gut. And I don't like not believing individuals I'm interviewing because I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. But it's so nice to have that evidence tucked away from the scene that you know that you can you know poke holes in their story with but uh now he was very convincing um played the victim role very very well but i just knew he was lying wow so you you get your confession from him and or I i'd guess say admission yeah he, admission, admission from him and well, in the interim, too, after that, uh, you talked about the autopsy. Did you attend the autopsy? I did not. Um, we were still doing stuff with the investigation. It's typically the next day. Um, so forensic service detectives go up, and that's when they told me the, the count was over 100. So I was, I was floored at that. And he had them all over his body from the top of his head to his feet. Did they have any information? And this goes back away. So if you don't remember, that's okay. Do they have any information about depth, or did the knife hilt make contact? You know what I'm talking about? Is it? Yeah. A lot of times, no. Serrated. And yeah, it was. Uh, we believe the uh, murder weapon was a, just a regular kitchen steak knife, probably like five inches long, and several of the the stab wounds, especially to the abdomen, were very very deep. Was the murder weapon at the scene? It was. Okay. Cool. And also, you know, I was wondering with that many, you know, how long did Todd endure this before he passed? You, there's no way of knowing. Because Hopefully the first one was you would have to got an so. artery and he bled out quickly because if not, you know, that's, that's a horrible, horrible way to go. It's a torturous way to, 
to yeah. it's something to endure that's awful well and again i do believe just because of the size difference between the two um he attacked him while he was laying on the couch or sleeping so that's where he got in probably several um devastating wounds and then the rest was all just rage we'll be back after a quick break bloody fm presents hometown ghost stories a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Coming back to the interview, did he ever move off that last point of of self-defense and a couple hits? Did he ever hint away to anything like that? Um, It wound up when we were starting to confront him about the multiple stab wounds, like, well, where did this happen? And why why was the back of his calf stabbed? Um, He, again, is like, I'm just so exhausted. I probably do need an attorney at this point. So he lawyered up for the second time. And at that point... Yeah, he he didn't want to talk anymore, so we respected his constitutional rights and shut the interview down, filled out the paperwork for murder, and sent him down to the Fayette County Detention Center. Now, before you sent him, did you all, like, seize his clothing or anything? Is that a practice? Yeah, we did that, and during the interview, um, you can hear he's complaining because we have bags over his hands that are taped, um, so he can't wash off any blood or anything like that. So we took precautions with that. Once he got to the hospital, his hands were were bagged by FSU and uh yeah we certainly we had a jumpsuit for him got him in a jumpsuit and took all his clothes for forensic examination gotcha did he ever say why he dragged Todd all the way back to the bedroom uh he loved him just wanted to be with him so is a moment where he just snapped for whatever reason and we'll never know um but then reality sets in after the his five minute version of a, a struggle. And he probably realized that I can't lie my way out of this. So he went back there and laid with him and probably did some thinking about how can I concoct a story around this and the best he could come up with, you know, two unknown intruders. There was no way he could clean that house, get rid of the body and say, no, Todd, he just left to go get cigarettes and I never saw him again. Yeah, because the, the couch cushion flip was kind of a modest yeah. attempt as it mm-hmm. is, kind of yeah. not real bright. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, and probably that too is that the idea of, of laying with him for that long too. Mm-hmm. It, well, and uh, I'm just thinking the schematics of it with the size difference. How did he drag him that far and get him up in the bed? Yeah. I mean, that's six, seven inches difference in height. Mm-hmm. Well, dragging him wouldn't have been too hard. But getting him on the bed probably would have been yeah. a struggle because, horrible to say, but dead weight is right. difficult to, to move around. But yeah, it's, um, and that's where I think he probably did a half-hearted attempt to take his own life. To, he saw there was, he's probably, there's mm-hmm. no way he was getting out of this. Um, but then I think he was surprised by the family showing up and had to go with that, that story that about story two intruders. That story that he concocted, yeah. Yeah. So he had handed that story to the family, I guess. Yeah, to the family and then to the initial officers at the scene. 
It uh, so the autopsy gets completed. You get that new information. Probably wasn't a surprise because of, of the amount of damage there and whatnot. Neat that you recovered the knife at mm-hmm. the scene. That's yeah, it. it's uh, again. I was just think I would imagine he was just overwhelmed with trying to figure out a way out of this. Well, and I'm sure the knife was probably the least of his thinking. Where is he going to put right. it or oh, hide sure. it? I yeah. mean, unless he's going to vacate the the residence to take it somewhere. I mean, there's only so many places you can hide that knife. Yeah, it. it yeah, they don't think that through too good. I've mm-hmm. only seen one time we had a murder off of Willard Street, I think, one time, and mm-hmm. then they actually called a guy, and he reminded me of uh, Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. He was a cleanup artist, oh. and, and and he uh, he had cleaned the apartment. It was a stabbing so well that the first run through FSU really didn't detect anything mm-hmm. until they got a statement, and then went start pulling the toenail rails out and stuff like yeah. that. But I remember Craig Sorrell interviewed him. And it was like an, it was like talking to Wolf in Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, he goes, first thing I told him, get all the silverware. And they're like, why do I have to throw all the silverware? And he goes, because there's one piece missing. You got to get all the silverware. And I'm, I, it's funny, but not funny, but yeah. that's a real life thing, too. So it uh, anytime you do that, you have to be willing to take those extra steps, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Now, that's, I remember, I think it was the Alex Johnson case where um, he was in the garage that's where they put him in the barrel to transport him down to the river and we did um some swabs to see if we could find any blood and there was such a small amount on the railing of the garage door and i think marcy adkins at the lab who you all have had on before who's fantastic at her job she solved a lot of murders for me that i take credit for Sure, yeah. As all cops exactly. do. Yeah. So she would love hearing that. No, yeah. the li- and she will. Yeah. And she will, Marcy. Marcy in the lab has been so good to me over the course of my career. So many people, Matthew Clements, who's in ballistics, you know, I could call them at any time. And if it was legit enough reason, they'd jump me to the, as close to the front of the line as they could. That's that relationship that you get yeah. with people mm-hmm. and it makes it. Yeah. She's going to be back and up. Uh, Bill Breslin will be back, and we're going to try to get him through one where he doesn't cry or weep. And, mm-hmm. uh, and But Bill and Marcy have agreed to do one, and I'm not going to disclose what it's about, but it's mm-hmm. a serial offender. Yeah, very are, scary guy. Yeah, very spooky, and uh, she is brilliant. Yes. Uh, she has the ability to, I think for our audience especially, she can take that into uh, layman's terms so quickly yep. and make people understand. So. Well, Marcy, was she's one of those where she could have easily transla- transferred from the lab, she could have been a homicide detective and a very good Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Her, her linear and analytical thinking is right on Yeah, she would have been fantastic at that job. She's patting her own back right now, and she should be. Yeah, sure. absolutely exactly. she should. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we get uh, we get through the autopsy. We recover the knife and everything, and and, uh, and he's done making no statements after that. Correct. Yeah. And that gets tricky. A lot of people don't know. Maybe we'll do an educational show on Fourth Amendment, and then it moves into you know, First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment, all that kind of it's, – it's kind of convoluted as to how – it gets more difficult to interview somebody the longer mm-hmm. they're in in that first couple of weeks. I guess what we're talking about now is what, what kind of things went on in the aftermath after he goes to jail. What Walk us through what the investigation looks like in the things that you're doing to tie this up. Well, this one um, is actually really short and simple. Those domestics typically are. You're not having to run down alternative suspects or anything like that. Uh, like I mentioned before, we swabbed the heck out of the house. Turns out once he admitted that it was just he and Todd and he was the one that stabbed him, all that blood and swabbed kind of became useless because we know the blood belongs to the victim, mm-hmm. Todd. And if there's fingerprints on things belonging to Matthew Donahue, then that doesn't tell us anything. He lived there. 
useless until you get on the stand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and then when you get cross examined, as to why you didn't do it. it yes. So you still, it's perfunctory to some degree. Yeah. But you still do it. And you're always, um, I had a, a murder case where we only collected 15 items and I only sent off two or three items to be tested because it was a domestic as well. And I got grilled on the stand for cross-examination. I didn't send enough off to the lab. I already had my mind made up, stuff like that. And it doesn't matter. If I sent off 99 things to the lab, they'd say, why didn't you send off 100? You know, it's just a, a tactic that they use, and I understand they've got a job to do. Sure, but absolutely. Yeah, as long as you can articulate why you sent something off or why you didn't, you're, you're fine. Right. It's, um, it's, it's funny, too, how we're talking about uh, a quick case because it's, mm-hmm. it's so isolated. And- uh, we were just listening to the the culpable podcast the other night, Wendy, on season two, where they're talking about the murder of Brittany Stikes in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, really good investigators, you can tell. It's an unsolved case, but I think they'll get there. But one of them was talking about the challenge on it, who done it, mm-hmm. when what people think are tips or conjecture in theory, once that lands, because they're talking in that case about thousands of tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guy that killed, that allegedly killed the four kids in Idaho, I think. The, when, they, when they talk about having thousands of tips, I don't think some people understand that that's a thousand things. That's that a thousand interviews. Out. That's it, at least. Right? Yeah. And every one of them has to have a bow around them. Yeah. And uh, that, that's a big deal that I always try to get across to people is a tip is something that might move. But, geez, oh, Pete, don't ever mm-hmm. confuse that for a theory you have. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't, don't paint that in a different way. Well, I'm sure you had some cases. I've had several where you get to a point in the investigation where you, you kind of hit the end of the road and it's like, should we take this public, you know, put it on the go. news because you need their help, but you only want the viable tips because once it goes out there, you will, you'll get a hundred, 200 leads and you have to follow up on every yeah. single one. Yeah. They've all got to be wrapped up. Yeah. Cause if you up. don't, that one, if you have 200 tips and you only do 199, by the time it gets to trial, those defense attorneys will be convinced that that one person you didn't do was the real killer, mm-hmm. and we've wrongly arrested their client. Mm-hmm. That's even if it's an unequivocal case. Yes. I mean, it'd be neat for people to experience that, to be on the stand when it happens. But even if it's an unequivocal, I did it, and the evidence is there, that's their job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got great ones in town. I've sure. Heard, I've write on our defense attorneys more than once, and I'll continue yeah. to. They're amazing people. But uh, it needs stuff. So in that case, yeah, it wraps up pretty quick then, mm-hmm. too. So. Yeah, the investigation part is actually – in this one, it's probably done in four to five days, and that's all the paperwork and everything, sending stuff off to the lab. Um, so you get to kick your feet up on the desk because, like, obviously there's nothing else going on in town, right? Absolutely. That's it. Like, what, maybe two, three years you'll have it. I'm being facetious. Yeah. <laughs> of course you are. Exactly. That is a uh, – and, you know, there's the gallows humor up in homicide. Sure. You, you have to have it. But uh, it's a good feeling when, you, like, you're next up and you finally get one. And it's like, okay, this isn't a who done it. I can solve it, wrap it up yes. pretty quickly, and then I go to the back of the line. You yeah. know, and that's maybe you get lucky and your number's not called again for three months, four months. So, you know, you're not busting your butt on this unsolved murder because those are the worst when you get an unsolved and you're still killing yourself and then you get another one. Which is the nature. It's yes. like that's it. That's where all that loose ends. I think my land speed record for one was a derby day where a guy got beat to get death with a two by four off Third Street. And I think I was able to be back home in about four hours. Yeah, those but, are nice. Yeah, exactly. I had some some stuff to do afterwards, but I had mm-hmm. somebody in custody. I had statements. I had the physical evidence recovered and we got to it. But uh, yeah, that never happened again. 
And you're right, that's the raking leaves on a windy day. Yep. They're always coming in. It's a really good analogy because it, it just doesn't stop. You just hope for a breather from yep. time to time. And, it, and I think if somebody gets into the business, I think it's a mistake they might make. Is yeah. it, don't ever think you're going to be done and kind of take a, just It's the nature of the beast. Yeah. But when you do leave, to this day, and I've been gone a long time, I still will be out doing something mm-hmm. and I'll think about one of them that didn't lay down. You're just yep. always like, if I could get back and do this, that never leaves you. I'm pretty lucky in that. I think I've only had two unsolved in my career mm-hmm. and I put them to, I work them to exhaustion. Yeah. Like it's just, so I'm, I'm at peace with that, but, uh, I still get, I've been gone over a little over a year now and there's still some PTSD. Like when I hear a certain phone, a, a ring type yeah. that that was my ring when I was in homicide at 3am, I'd hear the ring. And if I hear that exact ring, I just like, it takes me back and oh, I'm sure. not happy about it. <laughs> sure, exactly. But I will say this, I kind of miss it enough to where like when we're talking about uh, David Kelm's family or mm-hmm. we've uh, the Hasty family, yes. which is South, beautiful people that have a, an adult son. We covered Michael Gorley that, that uh, went missing and, and hasn't been seen. And there's foul play all over that. There's also a part that makes you sure. want to work them. Oh, you never, it, it yeah, never goes and it, away. And that that's an inside thing that you, you're thinking, boy, I'd, or like if I'm listening to a good podcast mm-hmm. myself, again, I'm going to pitch culpable because it's really good. The entire time I'm thinking, boy, I would probably think about this or yeah. this would be an avenue. So it's, it's fun to think about, but you don't have to go in and do it and you're not, but you're not yeah. getting paid for it. So. I think uh, Travis Holt, who's a really good detective, I think he's running cold case now. Right. Very sharp guy. I'm sure he'll do great at it. But I've seen other departments have uh, former homicide detectives come on as consultants. Right. And uh, if Florence Weathers is out there listening, you know, I'd be certainly happy to come back and review some cases because it is fun being part of it. I just wouldn't be the main one responsible. I'd just give some ideas and maybe some guidance and see where it goes. Yeah. I, I won't name any names, but I did get hit up by uh, somebody several months ago. And God, I love him to death. And he's not there anymore, but he had an, an idea of having a uh, an event. Mm-hmm. For a lot of us going back as far back as we could get together, spend an entire day and just talk about what's on that shelf. Yeah. And I was like, brilliant. Well, that won't happen. No, right. it, it's like, but it, it it was a neat, neat concept. Well, when they asked me to take over the cold case unit, I, I had the idea that because I think at the time we had 50 maybe unsolved murders going back to the 70s or, or 80s. What I wanted to do was take. Six weeks, not do a damn thing, but read every case file and put them in categories. It's like, okay, these are potentially DNA cases. Right. Okay, we'll set these aside. And when I get to them, I'll go through all the evidence and send a ton of stuff off to the lab. These are pounding the pavement cases. Like we need to re-interview some Mm -hmm. people, maybe some new ones that they missed. They go over here. And then there's some that no fault of any detectives, sometimes the bad guy wins. They get the breaks. And there's just hardly any solvability to those and set those aside so you can work on the ones that actually have a chance of getting solved. And the first thing you do is you send all those off to the lab and hopefully you get a a phone call or two in six months. It's like, hey, no, this this belongs to so-and-so. You know, and those the the low-hanging fruit, as they say. Sure. You know, it's like, give me those any day of the week. I don't need to beat my chest and say how great of an investigator I am. It's like, no, you give me a DNA hit and I'll go put the cuffs on. That and look at what it does for the family. Absolutely. Whether it's low-hanging fruit or high-hanging fruit, I think that the name of the game is, the game is to see how many of those you can get. Yeah, we just, I just finished up a 
a couple um, pled guilty to a cold case murder that happened in 2010. Um, but yeah, that's when I made contact with the victim's daughter. I knocked on her door and told her who I was. And she was like, don't get me involved unless you believe you can solve this. Because I'd already come to a certain amount of peace with it. Right. I don't want to live through it again if nothing's going to happen. And I, that's tough because I had to, I was like, I can't promise you anything. Mm-hmm. All I can promise you is I'm, I'm going to give it my all and I'll keep you in the loop every step of the way. And I was, I was fairly confident I knew who did it. And, you know, we had some avenues to go to get some, some information. And luckily we were able to make it happen. But yeah, she was, she was scared. That I was opening up the case again, actually. But everybody metabolizes, metabolizes that in a different way, and I could see that. I could see where that. Yeah, uh, she's like, don't make me go through it again if nothing's going to happen. Right. So that was a real relief off my shoulders when we finally got the uh, the arrest of the two individuals. And, yeah, she was very grateful and, and also frustrated that it took 13 years, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Crazy. Well, let's go back to this one. Sure. That didn't take 13. It, thank God for the family on that, is uh, where do we go now? If uh, pretty Pretty quick investigation, get mm-hmm. some things back, some lab work. You got your autopsy reports and everything. What, what happens next? Hey, you know there's more to the story, so go download the next episode like the true crime fan that you are. The Murder Police Podcast is hosted by Wendy and David Lyons and was created to honor the lives of crime victims, so their names are never forgotten. It is produced, recorded, and edited by David Lyons. The Murder Police Podcast can be found on your favorite Apple or Android podcast platform as well as at MurderPolicePodcast.com, where you will find show notes, transcripts, information about our presenters, and a link to the official Murder Police Podcast merch store, where you can purchase a huge variety of Murder Police Podcast swag. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which is closed caption for those that are hearing impaired. Just search for the Murder Police Podcast and you will find us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for more and give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Make sure you set your player to automatically download new episodes so you get the new ones as soon as they drop. And please tell your friends. Lock it down, Judy.